get us into little shady locations where we might then chat a bit. So um, maybe we might start up on Magnolia Plaza. And how interesting, we're looking for a little shadow that, uh, this morning, but. Um... This July, the Brooklyn Botanic Garden opened its Fight for Sunlight exhibition to protest the developer's plan to build two 39-story mixed-use towers at the site of the old spice factory on Franklin Avenue. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Scott Medbury, the president of Brooklyn Botanic Garden. I'm delighted to have you all here on a sunny late July day where we're opening our exhibition, Fight for the Sunlight. So we're looking right across the street in this gap where the 40-story uh, towers would be. So we're going to take a look at some of the collections, but the... I'm Scott Medbury, president and CEO of Brooklyn Botanic Garden. I don't always use the CEO, but I'm using it now that I'm... Because my, my successor may be into that part, but it really is. You say, executive officer. But that is the title. Scott Medbury, who's going to be giving up his title when he leaves the garden in early 2020 for a job in California, toured us around the exhibition. Tell you, yes. I, I've collected this plant in the wild myself. I'm a plant guy originally. That's the passion that brought me to my career. I grew up in Hawaii, sort of the endangered species capital of the world, where I knew plants that were, in some cases, the sole remaining specimen of that plant. We used to hike and collect a lot, and I lived on Oahu, but we went to these mountains, the Waianae Mountains, and one time one of my snarky hiking buddies, we were looking at the sole remaining specimen of a rare a lobelia family plant. He goes, hey guys, look, an extinction event. And he went as though to pull it out. And we almost had a heart attack, but he didn't do it, you know. But had he done so, it would have been true. It would have been extinct forever, you know. Mr. So Medbury says that according to internal modeling, the 52-acre garden could lose up to four and a half hours of sunlight a day, leaving the living collections in their conservatory and nurseries vulnerable. The garden is home to 8,500 different plant species, 500 of which are rare or endangered. I understand the garden's history and the, the twists and turns of the many things that we had. The Great Depression was tough on this garden, as was the bankruptcy of the city and the reduction of city funding in the mid-70s. But I would say this is the greatest threat this institution has ever uh, encountered. The current zoning that protects the conservatory was put into place in 1991 and extends along the perimeter of the garden. The garden is located next to the Brooklyn Museum in Crown Heights, a historically black neighborhood that's experienced rapid gentrification over the past several years. Between 2010 and 2018, rents in Crown Heights increased by 35 percent. And a study done by the city council in 2018 revealed that the neighborhood also has some of the highest eviction rates across Brooklyn. We're all New Yorkers. We understand the housing crisis we're in. We just imagine there are other places to do this where that wouldn't have this impact. There are other high-rise buildings proposed in Crown Heights, and mostly we've sort of stayed out of that conversation. But we must stand up to this because it has a real perspective impact. The garden might be new to the conversation, but the fight to protect the neighborhood that surrounds the garden has been raging for years. You know, look at this. These things have been growing <laughs> for the last four years because I have not been gardening. So I uh, my name is Alicia Boyd. I represent uh, the MTOP, the Movement to Protect so the People. I, I am. I'm determined. So I have my pots here. FLAC, which is Flower Lovers Against Corruption, and 
ban the book and anti-gentrification network well, i know this isn't your first time at the rodeo as well we saw the video of you at the community board when all of that kerfuffle went oh down. when i got arrested <laughs> yes that's a famous video <laughs> yeah, it made the rounds and here you are again in 2014 13 2012, there was a plan put in place that they would do a district-wide rezoning. And if you know anything about the EULA process... Mandatory inclusionary housing allows developers to build higher and denser if they include a certain percentage of affordable units. But to get approved, they have to go through a political process called EULA. Uh, the Uniform Land Use Review Process. We were able to stop the massive district-wide rezoning. And that has been because of our due diligence at the community board. And so we've been able to, you know, stop that through lawsuits. Through litigation, through arrest. <laughs> through protests, through education, and through monitoring. Um, our community board and holding them accountable. We had 32 yeses, seven noes, and three abstentions. To accept the letter of recommendation for the removal of District Manager Pro Miles, the motion carries the District Manager Pro Miles has been removed from community board nine. I asked for the board, I asked for the board. In 2015, District Manager Pearl Miles was stripped of her title a direct result of community protests. Alicia, MTOP, and other neighborhood groups have fought CB9 every step of the way. MTOP is notorious for being relentless. When a lot was bought on Clarkson Avenue in 2015, someone tweeted, don't tell MTOP. The group is controversial and has gotten in trouble in the past for using divisive rhetoric. My name is Ellie Cohen. I'm the executive director of the Crown Heights Jewish Community Council. People have raised very important issues, and there was not one word said, as some of the literature that's gone out and some of the rhetoric that's gone out, trying to inject one neighbor against the other, one race against another, one religion against another. And I implore you, you may be very passionate about this issue, one way or the other, don't stick race into it. There are, poor, there are poor people. The last thing I, I want to say is that I've heard a lot about racial unity. We've got people in the neighborhood who are calling people on the tongue. They're race-banning Jews. They're also, there was a, there, I see you right there. You're the one who called me KKK. So either you got to tone it down. Buy her. Doesn't she want something? Of course, I've been offered a couple of, uh, you know, assembly seats and stuff like that and a little bit of money, you know. Can't we just buy her? Of course, they would They, they would like for me to go away. I bet you if I put my house on sale, they'll buy it like this. <laughs> I'll be long gone out of the picture. But, you know, I think it's important. I think it's important that there is resistance to development. We want our major corridors off because we know what major corridor development does. It displaces, goddammit, it displaces. Now we will not be displaced out of our goddamn community. Did you get that?
When it became clear that community resistance was going to stand in the way of a district-wide rezoning, individual development companies began to approach the DCP. There were two uh, major rezoning requests. One was for a smaller development and the other one was for a larger development. So the strategy was let the smaller one go through, let it break the plan, let it cause the damage, and then when the bigger one comes by behind, the bigger one can say, oh, well, the damage has already been done. <laughs> In 2016, Cornell Realty submitted a rezoning request citing the mandatory inclusionary housing program. And in 2018, their application was approved by a city council vote. Council Majority Leader Lori Cumbo voted to greenlight the project in exchange for more affordable housing units. The Garden has always maintained that these smaller proposed developments will not have a significant effect on their collections. Uh, we have determined that we're not going to take a position on these projects because it's farther away and their early morning summer shadows will have little to no impact on the Garden. But in 2017, when Bruce Eichner and the Continuum Company paid $75 million for the three-acre lot where the Spice Factory sits, they began to get political. They started an online petition and gave testimony at a heated scoping hearing in March of 2019. The project proposes 50 percent affordable housing, and developers have agreed to use 100 percent union labor. At the hearing, most support came from individuals representing labor unions. You know, you're going to put... Cast, uh, the casting of shadows over the safety of workers right across the street at, Cornell, uh, at the Cornell site. Workers are being exploited. They're not being paid the proper wages. Some are owed hours. This is what's going on in Brooklyn. And the one bastion of good jobs is going to be thrown to the wayside because of a parking space. It's a shame. And the people here who've been complaining should be ashamed. I'm ready to put a shuffle in their hand than for them walking into the streets with a gun in their hand. MTOP and other groups opposed to the project requested additional environmental reviews, reviews that took into account sun glare, bird migration, and possible significance to the Lenape tribe. Lori Cumbo sent a representative. And while these commitments to good jobs with livable wages both during and post-construction cannot be overlooked, we are also faced with downtown Brooklyn-sized towers overshadowing the Brooklyn Botanic Garden and Prospect Park shattering all precedent for height and scale. This proposal, developed with zero community consultation or input, may need a full reset, not just tinkering around the edges. A spokesperson for the Continuum Company testified that their preliminary shadow studies showed no significant adverse shadow impacts. They added that the Garden has ignored their request to meet. Scott Medbury denies this. A um, member of the Gardens Board of Trustees did meet with the Continuum Company despite what they've said when they first were floating this uh, project. And, uh, but we don't years really... Years ago? Was... About two and a half years ago. Okay. Bruce Eichner and the Continuum Company could not be reached for comment. For MTOP and the Garden, the development at 960 Franklin Avenue poses a massive threat. 
483 feet as far as stories, about 43 stories high. So about 43 stories high in the neighborhood where the typical structure dwelling is three to three four, to four, four stories. stories yes, 99% of our homes in this community are three to four stories. Mm -hmm. So a giant sequoia among the daisies. <laughs> We're giving a botanic yeah, yeah. reference. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, we call it the monster. We're talking about tens of thousands of kinds of plants. 1,500 apartment units. There's over 400 um, different bonsai in the collection. Uh, around 5,000 people. There are 31 separate chambers or spaces in this complex of conservatories, greenhouses, and nurseries. The developer wants to bring in 1,500 residential units and only have to provide 180 parking spaces. The developer suggested that we try to employ artificial sun. Look at our transit system. It affects flowering, affects growth of everything. Communities of color have to bear the burden of this increased development, and then we bear the burden of displacement. This is the place for our greenhouses. We've invested quite a bit of money to build them, so why should we have to move them? Because you wind up bringing in a group of people that then push the other community residents or the existing residents out. The intention is to have me removed and my, and my people. Our responsibility to care for a collection this special is really huge. We take it so seriously. Just a humongous, impact upon the neighborhood, it will be devastating for us. But neighborhood activists and garden officials have different philosophies when it comes to organizing. Why hasn't BBG done a shadow study? One excuse we got, oh, we don't have enough money. We had two shadow studies that we did, okay? How much did you pay for it? We paid 1200 for one and about 500 for another. Okay, so we spent about two grand. And you telling me that BBG can't come up with two grand or three grand to sit there and do a shadow study, and yet they're doing million dollar renovations right now, currently as we speak? Brooklyn Botanic Garden was created uh, in a partnership with the city of New York between the nonprofit Botanic Garden and New York City. And together, we've invested hundreds of millions of dollars in creating this institution over its 110 year history. And so uh, we feel it's an incumbent upon us to protect this and to do this well and not in an alarmist or hysterical or exaggerated way. Our concerns are legitimate and real. And uh, so far, that's, that message seems to be resonating with our, our members, our visitors, our donors. We're talking about a rezoning that does not just include this one development. This rezoning includes 30 plots of land all to be rezoned, to be developed, for air rights transfer and this transfer and that. So we're talking about a wall of development that could be worth billions of dollars. We're about plants and kids and making New York a greener place. We would not be in a conversation about zoning or about housing, but we have to with right. the Spice Factory. Along with her colleagues, LaShawn Ellis and Michael Hollingsworth, Alicia is still fighting the smaller developments, threatening to break the community plan. We have been very successful at, at least initially in the beginning of filing a lawsuit and getting a temporary restraining order against the first development. It's a rarity that um, TROs are granted to applicants, um, especially pro se applicants. And so people are like, how did you guys do that? Well, we did our homework. They've spent the summer defending the validity of that suit in court. At the end of the summer, a group gathered outside the Supreme Court in downtown Brooklyn. Good, mo good morning. I just, 
I don't know. I want to speak to people. I want to speak to you guys. First, I just want to say that my heart is really overjoyed that you showed up because it makes a difference. M, as in Maxine, as in Magnificent, Barnes, my last name, B as in boy, A-R-N-E-S, and I've been in this fight for a long, long time, uh, before it was popular. My name is Erica James. I'm Brent. Yes, I live in the neighborhood. Hi, I'm Dr. Anna Maria Thomas. I am an educator who retired in 2012 after 39 years with the New York City Department of Education. I got a flyer from someone about this meeting. I received an email last night. I got here at 8.40, waited till 9 o'clock so I could get a seat. I didn't realize how crowded it was going to be. We need our green spaces. We don't want him to get rid of our green spaces. We want our hair, we want our sunlight, we want our, our birds and, and and insects, you know, to try. We don't want to get to, that's a beauty. My partner is LaShawn. The first time we hung out was in the garden, because um, we're both members. It stormed and we were the only two. Everyone left and we stayed in the storm and we were the only two in the garden. We just had a lot of fun. <laughs> and Asha's like, whoa, who is this person? She's amazing. When I moved to the neighborhood in, 2014, you know, I had no idea. I'm going to continue to fight. I'm not going to stop fighting for justice because even if I can run and go back to my country, but my grandchildren and great-grandchildren lives here. They were born here. So I have to fight to help to make it better for them. That's right. I have a team that I work with. Raise your hand if you're part of that team. We felt that it was so important for there to be a movement to protect ourselves because we know that big time real estate is really, you know, pushing forward and going into communities of color and rezoning and bringing luxury and causing displacement. Not everyone who stopped to listen to Alicia's remarks on the court steps was there in support of MTOP's lawsuit. One woman shared that she's in a housing battle of her own. Um, I've been fighting and housing for the past five years with my landlord because um, we're a gay couple, my girlfriend and I. They dragged me to court for five years because I live in a rent-controlled building on Eastern Parkway, Franklin and Classen. All this over an apartment that we live in. My girlfriend there for 40 years, I'm there for 30 years. I mean... When you see people go crazy, the system drives you crazy. This is why the support for here is so important with you. Where there's unity, there's strength, you're fighting this by yourself right now. And the only thing you, we all can do in this is unify our efforts together so that the judge sees we're not playing. This is not an issue that you're just going to sweep under the rug and, and let it go. It's not going to happen. It's going to take perseverance. It's going to take determination. It's going to take um, money. 
you know, and protests. We're going to have to possibly protest, and then might have to be some arrests with those protests. So you might see some more footage of me being arrested. And, and it is our fight. It's really all of our fights. Because when one person wins, then everybody wins. So who's the oldest person on your block? The oldest person on my block is my neighbor next door. <laughs> so Her name is Mrs. Bostick. <laughs> how would Mrs. Bostick describe what it is that you do and who you are? Miss um, Bostick would probably say that I was the person who used to take her to these uh, to the concerts in the summertime. Um, the jazz concerts up in Harlem when she was a little bit more uh, capable of traveling. Um, she would say, that, oh, I'm the person who was always out there gardening, but all of a sudden no longer am I gardening outside because, uh, you know, she's into some political stuff, I think. <laughs> um, she, that's what she would say. She would say that she's a neighbor. She's a neighbor. <laughs>